for many of you, oh, for many of you, uh, Pastor John Barnett, uh, Dr. Bar John Barnett requires no introduction. And we also know that many of you have come since uh, Pastor Barnett moved into another ministry in 2017. Uh, he, he and his wife, Bonnie, remain global partners with us. Pastor John and, and uh, Bonnie arrived in 2017. They came with what we called then uh, the trailer, uh, B-T-B-M-I. Did I get that right? Uh, Discover the Book Ministries International. And that ministry and the opportunities through that ministry began continued to increase while he was here to the place that uh, John and Bonnie then stepped into a full-time ministry with DTBMI. Uh, their daughters are also with us who are not with DTBMI but are global partners. Julia and Estelle uh, continue to be global partners with us as well in other ministries. Come back this evening to learn more about that. Uh, John and Bonnie have moved into a ministry that they, I think I've got the wording about right, they're committed to training next generation leaders around the world. And that involves an immense amount of traveling. Encourage you to come back tonight to receive a bit of a report then and also uh, from Julia and Estelle. You can also follow them on uh, the internet and YouTube. Uh, I am all very glad we actually get you here this morning, John, and we won't be using our screens uh, for your face. Um, I, I would mention, now that sounds bad, I suppose, doesn't it? <laughs> I better finish up. Uh, John and Bonnie and Julie and Estelle will be here this evening again. I encourage you to come. We will not be able to live stream that because of some of what will be shared, but I encourage you to come back uh, tonight to learn more about their ministries. And John, I am going to turn this over to you and quit taking your time. Mm -hmm. Jeff is a blessing. He really is. He, uh, Steve Edwards, uh, the chairman of the search committee back in the old days when I came, called me and said, hey, uh, before you get here, we're going to be installing another very seasoned servant of the Lord. His name is Jeff Whitaker. And he said, you will love him. And this is after I agreed to come and be pastor, and they brought in a, a fellow with probably more experience than me on staff. I was a little worried until I met Jeff, and he was like my right-hand man. No, no, he didn't want anything but to just fulfill the purpose of the Lord of this church, and uh, he became a wise counselor and dear friend and dear Linda, too. So praise the Lord. Thank you. Uh, for you to know, some of you probably will wonder what's happening. I am, oh, do I have to do something less here? I'll hit this this oh it's all there uh, I teach for 50 minutes I teach for 50 minutes in classrooms everywhere I go and they told me because of the baptisms that I have 26 minutes and 54 seconds and they actually gave me my own personal timer right here <laughs> and they are going to turn the lights out um, Oh, I did something, and it's not, bless, it's not a timer anymore. Uh, oh, no. But uh, it was about 25 after, I think, is when it's supposed to be. Is that right? About? Yeah, okay. But, so I did the first 25 minutes in first service, and I'm picking up right there second service. So here we go. 
here we go. Uh, I was commissioned uh, in October. Uh, one of the places where Bonnie and I teach will have 500 uh, college kids that will be teaching in two sites, one in New York and one in Florida. And they said, uh, but we want you to completely rewrite your material in the book of Revelation for them because in the new protocols that come from the Accreditation Association, young people have expressed the fact that they no longer come to classes just because there's a class. They want the faculty members to explain to them in the first moments of the class why they should even listen to that class. Because time is so short, you can get everything on the internet anyway, and with chat, GPT, it can write your papers for you. You don't really even need to come anymore. Why do you need to come to that class? So I set out to distill down the whole, all 20 lessons of Revelation into why. And here's the last one. I didn't finish it till five o'clock this morning because I was still working on it, you know, and, and thinking about those students. And I thought, and you all are, you're a little older, some of you, than 20. But you know what I mean, thinking about your faces and why is heaven vital? Why did God include it in the Bible? Why is Revelation in the Bible? Every chapter, but why the last two? And... Why should we be thinking about it every day? Because it seems to be what the early church thought about every day. And so, I wrote this down. It's because our Father in heaven sits on the throne and we pray to him. That's Matthew 6, 9. Because our Father in heaven is one that dispenses forgiveness. That's what it says in Matthew six fourteen. Because Jesus said, lay up everything dear to us there in heaven. Remember, lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. And that's Matthew 6 and verse 21. Jesus waits for us in heaven. He's prepared a place for us. And finally, Paul said, we operate on earth as citizens of heaven. Well, with that in mind, I shared in first service, heaven is basically our room at our Father's house. In fact, I shared with them the Septuagint, which is when a group of Greek scholars in the second century translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek of the New Testament era, they used a Greek word for every Old Testament Hebrew word. Now, it's really interesting. In John 14, 2, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. The Greek word exactly parallels a word in the account of Noah building the ark at God's command. And it says that he made a place for all the animals on the ark. It was three decks, but they were in one boat, and they all had their spot. That's what heaven is, according to Jesus. It's one boat, we're on different decks, but we all have our spot in our Father's house. It's our seat at God's banquet, Jesus said in Matthew 8:11. It's our long-for paradise. Paul, when he was probably stoned to death in his little jaunt through Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, it says that he went to paradise. And he said, I saw things that are inexpressible. I can't even tell you about them, but I long to go back there. It's our longed-for paradise. It's our reserved place, Peter said, uh, for we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. It's our secure location. It says that uh, in Hebrews 11, that Abraham looked for the city. It has an article there. It's, it's not a city. It's the city whose builder and maker is God. It's a city that has security, it has foundations. And finally, it's our home forever. Uh, David, when he was talking about the Lord being his good shepherd, he says, after he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death and protects me and anoints my head with oil and prepares that table for me, that his goodness and mercy will follow me all the way through life, but I'm headed to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's 
what heaven is. So that's all of first service. So you don't need to worry about that. But let's go to second service, okay? Who is inviting us to heaven? Well, number one, it's my creator. And remember the scriptures say, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Uh, Let me introduce, because this is uh, Isaiah 46, if you want to turn there. Um, This is a verse I read at the bedside of so many dear Calvary saints and before Calvary Tulsa saints, before that Grace Community saints and Gwinnessa saints. This is what I read when someone's laying there in the hospital, you know, and they've got that, you know, in their mouth and they've got the mask on and they've got perforated veins and and all the picks and, and everything else in them. And they're looking at you with those eyes, hoping for some encouragement. I always read this about the one inviting us to heaven, our creator, and we're supposed to remember. Look what he says about himself. Even to your old age, I am he, verse four. Even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you, I will bear you. Even I will carry you and will deliver you. When did God start all that? The verse before, look at verse three. You have been upheld by me from birth. You have been carried from the womb. You know, the doctor that delivered me at Edward W. Sparrow Hospital in 1956, and my parents, by the way, saved the Lansing State Journal newspaper. I still have it. Can you believe it? Pack rat I am. From the day of my birth, and they gave it to me when I was, I don't know how old. And you know what? You know why it's important? That's the day the Lansing State Journal described the Aukas killing Nate Saint and the whole gang, you know, down there in, uh, in, in the jungles. And they announced it in the paper on my birthday, and I've never forgotten that. kind of reminds me of why I love missions. But I don't even know the name of the doctor who delivered me at Edward W. Sparrow Hospital 67 years ago. But I do know someone that was in the room. And the one that carried me, look what it says, verse 3, from birth has upheld me from the womb even to my old age and even when I'm gray-haired I have clear hair but you know uh, even when I'm gray-haired he said I will carry you I have made you I will bear you I will carry I will deliver you that's who is inviting us to heaven secondly our guardian the one we're supposed to trust you know what it says in Psalm 121.4 he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps you talk about security you know, everybody wants to get a, you know, a nest or a whatever doorbell and you, got this, you sign up to have the feed you know, so you can record all the creepy people that come up to your house and you don't know it. And you can even announce who's there because it has facial recognition. And people are really into security and they want security in their house. They want security in their car. And you know, they pack security and everything else. Do you know what? I have a guardian who doesn't just record the situation. You know, it says in Romans 8, 28, he is the active one who is working everything together for his good. And the closer I am to him, the more I see it's for my good too because whatever pleases him is most important to me. Thirdly, the one who invites us to heaven is my designer. And I'm supposed to obey him because he invented my DNA. Now turn back to uh, Psalm 139 and verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. 
the one who designed me, the one who invented that, that incredible DNA strand that, that is in all, every cell of my body that, that determined everything about me, the one that designed the unchangeable parts of me, the parts I didn't have any choice in. He said, I want you to obey what I created you for. Boy, that's an important message because we're living in a generation of people that don't want to be who they were born to be. They want to change it. They want control. They don't want a designer. They want to design their own life. God says, the one that invites you to heaven designed you from your DNA double helix up and you're supposed to obey him. And that's who's inviting us. And he's my friend. I'm supposed to follow him. Psalm 1611, one of my favorite verses, God says, I will show you the path of life. If you stay in my presence, there's fullness of joy. And if you do what I say at my right hand, there are endless pleasures. I'm your friend. And I want you to follow me all the way through life. Who invites us to heaven? My completer. Oh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, the the one who was, God told him he had to be single his whole life. He said, you will never be married. You will never have anyone in your home to greet you. You'll always come home to a dark house because your oil lamp burned out. You'll never have a nice meal on the table. And not only will you never be married, Jeremiah, your family won't like you. And they're going to betray you. And and he says, but that's not all. He says, you're going to preach your whole ministry all 40 years and you'll have no converts. Can you imagine the missions committee meeting with that missionary? I mean, you know how everybody's just always pumping up the, the reports of all that the Lord is doing, and Jeremiah says, no, nothing this week, nothing this year. In fact, this decade's been pretty thin. And God says to him, that's why he's called the weeping prophet, by the way. That's why he wrote Lamentations. But God said to him, I offer genuine satisfaction, joy, and delight. Do you know Jeremiah 15, 16? Thy words were found, and I ate them, and thy word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Why? Because I have results? Because I'm married? Because my family loves me? Mm -mm. None of those things did he have. Because I have a successful ministry? Mm -mm. Because I'm called by your name, O Lord of hosts. See, our completer, completes us without the family, without the marriage, without the career, without the success. Just him is the one that's inviting us to heaven. The only one that knows how to give us joy and rejoicing. And he's the changeless one. We're supposed to seek him. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8. You know, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He never changes. He's the one that invites us to heaven. He's also our almighty God. The one we're supposed to worship forever. And if you think of God, think of what our new uh, telescope, I think it's the Webb telescope. We had the Hubble, now we have the Webb. And, and they're looking out further and they're seeing grander things and they have even more ability to focus and color them and everything. And if you think of the endlessness of our universe, but by the way, remember how God orients it. His throne is above Jerusalem. You wonder where heaven is? Go to the Holy Land and look up. That's where heaven is. God says, my throne is there. And he said, I am enthroned here. And this is the center of the universe, earth. And he, in Isaiah, stretched everything out 
from this point. And unrolled, that's actually the word in Hebrew for unrolling a tent. God unrolled the galaxies that way and that way. You know what I mean? And they all spread out. That's what Hubble found out, the red shift and the distance and the fast way they're all streaking out. He says, when you look at that vastness, the endlessness, and then you look around you at the colors and everything at the microscopic level, it's unbelievable. And that's who's inviting us to heaven. So just for a second, your best friend who designed all the life in one drop of water also designed our DNA and every event of our life. Think of how powerful he is. God has demonstrated such unbelievable ability to cause life here on this planet to multiply and flourish beyond what we can even comprehend. So as an example, the explosive power of life God has built into this world can be seen in any standing water or pond on the planet. Now let me give you a little science lesson. Water is preeminently the seat of life on earth. There is not a bay or a creek or a shelf or a sound on the face of the earth that does not teem with life. Every drop of ditch water can hold 500 million microscopic creatures. That's why you're supposed to filter it with a life straw before you drink it, you know. Uh, Every drop, let me read to you what's in one drop. To the microscopic creatures living in that drop, to them, one teaspoonful of water would be the size of the Atlantic Ocean to us. So you get a teaspoon of your soup this afternoon and think of that as the whole ocean and that's how small these creatures are. There are one half billion, 500 million microscopic creatures in that drop of water in every pond and they live comfortably in that single drop moving all around. There are 1,000 species of creatures in that drop of pond water. Some are herbivores, some are carnivores, some of them have shells, some of them have nothing, they possess mouths, they have teeth, they have muscles, they have nerves, they have glands. Some have between one and 200 sac stomachs that are connected by an intestinal canal. Get the life straw, you don't want that one. That intricacy, they are microscopic, I mean smaller than than most creatures, and yet they are so delicately made. Their stomachs have been estimated to be one fifty millionth part of an inch. But only a God so infinite could have worked in such a majestic scale as what the Webb telescope is seeing and as what the microscope sees in the drop of pond water. There's no such thing as bigness or smallness to a God who's infinite. So let's go to Revelation. We read it in first service, but you just turn there with me. Revelation 21, and let me show you what we're talking about, what heaven is and why it's so vital and why God says it's his throne and why God says all of our prayers are to be to him on his throne in heaven and why Jesus said, take anything important to you in your life and send it ahead to heaven and take as many people with you. Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven. And where did he see it come down to? To the new earth. You see, heaven is right above earth. Don't think of heaven as out there somewhere. You know, in that new cluster of galaxies they found. Or in that new nebula they found that is so beautiful in those National Geographic pictures. Think of heaven as right here. Revelation 21, 22, are you getting ready for heaven? Are you ready to dwell in your father's house? Number one, the first thing about heaven God tells us, look what it says, new heaven, new earth. Verse two, new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. New, new what? Well, the old goes and the new comes. The old polluted by sin universe dissolves. Did you know that? Peter, 2 Peter 3, records the uncreation of the universe. To an atomic level, God dissolves the universe. Wow. Including the earth. Now, if I had time, I would just launch off into why, you know, it is that we shouldn't so much spend our lives trying to preserve something God is going to destroy and rather try to preserve that which can never be destroyed, which are people. And instead of saving everything else, why not seek and save the lost? Well, all lost sinners have faced their lives being recorded by God. This is chapter 20 that we're not covering today. They've stood without excuse. They were sentenced to eternal death because of their sinful words, their sinful thoughts, and their sinful deeds condemn them forever so the old goes the new comes then second peter 3 says god's fire purifies the whole universe it says in verse 10 the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night the heavens will pass away with a great noise the elements will melt both the earth and the works that are in it shall be burned up wow so the fire purifies the universe and then everything unconnected to God burns up. Do you remember what First John says? Love not the world, nor the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God lasts forever, abides forever. Everything unconnected to God burns. How much of your life is unconnected to God? Most people have this compartmentalization. You know, they kind of have today, you know, it's, I'm in church and yeah, I, have, I go, I'm there. Or I have my study, but then I have my life. I have my career, I have my pursuits, I have my hobbies, I have my part nobody knows about, you know, and I have all this. Everything unconnected to God burns. Did you know heaven is to be a constant daily reminder that not only am I supposed to be as a parent connecting my children's hands to God, remember letters to Karen, letters to Philip and all that idea of, of what parenting is about, connecting our kids to God. Not only is that, I'm supposed to be connecting everybody else that I come through in life to God. I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel. I'm supposed to be redeeming my time. I'm supposed to be sending my treasures ahead. The only thing I can take with me to heaven are people. Everything unconnected to God burns. But what does Peter say? I have to read 2 Peter 3.11. Because I love how 
Peter applies the Bible. You know? Verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, earth, heaven, everything, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? Wow. It means we're supposed to live redemptively. Well, what is heaven like if you, if you read uh, basically what it says? Heaven is very permanent. I mean, it's talking about stones, gates of pearl, uh, you know, this cube. By the way, heaven is shaped the same dimensional, uh, you know, dimensions, the, the same uh, cube shape as the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and temple. It's kind of like we're going to be living in the, in the temple. Remember, it says there's no temple because God is the temple. It's like we're living in it. We're living in this cube with God. It's a permanent place. You know, I, I was thinking about that point number four. Their believers thought much about it. Did you know when the New Testament was being written, there was a succession of amazing emperors like Nero? Nero was amazing. He was a genius in construction. They still, at the, when Bonnie and I, in November, we were in Rome and teaching, and, and I went to an exhibit, and there, Nero's architectural skills are still being studied. He thought of new ways of introducing uh, colors and textures in all of his mansions he was building, but he was building out of stone. He was building out of, of incredible, not only just marble, he was importing granite and everything else he could get. And, and all the believers were living, you know, hiding out, and some of them were, were hiding anywhere they could in, in even those catacomb areas to, to get away. And nothing was permanent in their life except heaven. You see, they saw the emperors having all the power and grandeur, but they said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Uh, central to that, and let's look at chapter 22. We only read chapter 21, but look at chapter 22, and I'll start uh, in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. That's reiterating chapter 1. And then Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecies of this book. That's echoing chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed are those that read those that hear and those that keep the words of this prophecy. Now, verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. So John's validating. He says, I, it's me. I saw all this, and I'm writing it down. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me. Remember, John had a little guide, you know, uh, that explained everything, this angel guide. And the angel says, verse 9, uh, to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Point five, worship or submission to God is a central theme of the Bible. We are to live a life of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual offering of worship. The greatest worship doesn't really have any music attached to it. It's the constant surrender of our lives as an offering of submission. We want to honor and, and obey and adore God. Well, are you excited about heaven? 
Well, most people say, yeah, I'm really excited, but just not yet, <laughs> you know. Not today, you know. And why is that? Well, I think because a lot of times we don't think about what Psalm 23 says. That when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, it's just our way to get home. Um, let me see. Oh, I don't have enough time. I was going to read you a funeral from Calvary, but d- d- think about this. Because I have done 300 funerals, and I love funerals. And they're one of my favorite services to do for a believer. But wherever that person died, you know, at Bronson or Borges or at home or up at Rose Arbor, what we know for sure if they're a believer is Jesus was there, standing by the bed, waiting. And when that moment came and death's valley, that dark, shadowing valley opened, Jesus steps in and says, you're not going alone. He has an appointment, as it says in Hebrews 9. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then, I will fear no evil, Psalm 23, 4, for thou art with me, who? The good shepherd. Jesus actually escorts us home. And when he escorts us home, think of this, your first moment in heaven. Revelation chapter 3 tells us, and I will read from this funeral, at that moment, just before 6 a.m., David was taken by his hand. And from that hospital ward smelling of cleaner as they were mopping the floors, the Lord Jesus Christ led him past marshaled ranks of angels, up the golden boulevards, past the cherubim and seraphim, up to the throne of God himself. And David heard the Lord Jesus call him by name and present him in person to God the Father. And he said, this is my beloved child, And then God the Father said, bring the best robe and put it on him. And in that moment, a robe of white, bright as the day, pure as the light. Just as Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, so each of us are given that new name and that robe and we're completely forgiven, robe draped on our shoulders, invited to walk with Christ. Well, by the way, what would keep us from looking forward to that? Well, if you read Revelation 22, 12, and 13, which talks about all those wonders, behold, I'm coming quickly, verse 12, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to their work. Our rewards in heaven that Jesus longs to give us are completely tied to whether we labored for him, denying ourselves. What are some things, some sins that rob us of Christ's reward? A lust for comfort. You know, it's sad, but many people don't serve the Lord fully because it's uncomfortable to do it. It's embarrassing, or if they go somewhere, it's hard to work there. Agreed for recognition. Do you know the work God rewards the most is the one nobody knows about? He said, when people blow the horn for you, you've lost the reward for that. So do it in secret. And finally, a covetousness for security. We're the most security-seeking culture in the world. And that's why lesser uh, known parts of the world are pumping out more servants of the Lord these days than America because we're so security-conscious. What does the Lord want us to do? He wants us to fall in love with Jesus over again. My creator, I need to remember. He's carried me from birth. My guardian, I need to trust. He never sleeps. My designer, I need to obey. He designed me. My friend, I'm supposed to follow and know I'm following by the joy he brings. My completer that offers the only genuine satisfaction, joy, and delights. The changeless one. 
I can see his laws in nature, my almighty God. How do we get ready for heaven? We think about standing before Jesus. And we think about today, am I going to live the rest of my life for God or just for the stuff that's going to get burned up? I tell everyone in my classes, and I'll close with this, I say to them, who's the driver? And usually when I'm finishing up, you know, we've already packed the car and Bonnie and I have to drive to the airport. Um, and so I pull out my keys and I say, when we're driving, and Bonnie and I have, I think, so far driven in about 36 different countries, you should see us. I get the wrong way on the right road and, you know, or sitting on the wrong side of the, oh, you know, it's just amazing. You go to Thailand and it's like Britain and they're everything. But sometimes I just say, honey, will you drive? And if I want Bonnie to drive, I pull off to the side shoulder, I put it in park, I turn it off, I pull the keys out, I open my door, I run around to her side, I open the door, and I say, here, you can drive. Did you know that's what surrender to Christ is? Are you going to pull over your life every day, hand the keys to Christ, and get in the passenger seat and do what Ryan quoted to us during the worship service? Present our bodies that it's no longer I but Christ living in me. That's what the early church did. That's why they thought heaven was vital. That's where they were headed. That's where they wanted to be. Real quickly, and I know the baptisms are getting ready, Bonnie and I flew into Tampa. I was going to speak uh, to a couple hundred kids in Hudson, and, and we flew into Tampa. It was midnight. I'm old. I needed milk. I need milk. I always need milk. I, mean, I drink milk every day. I, I drink a lot of milk. I love milk good for the bones but but it was midnight we were coming out of Tampa I said look there's a 7-eleven right there where you gas up the cars for you return them to you know Hertz and so I pulled into the 7-eleven I got there I got my milk and I pulled out my credit card we were just in the country I made sure I had you know the right credit card and there were three spots to push it in and I didn't know which one to use so I I leaned under the you know the COVID glass they still have in Florida and I, I said which one do I poke it in talking to the clerk and she said the middle one and just then I felt tap 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 on my back and I turned around and here's one of those hell's angel kind of guys all leather tattooed every inch pierced every inch the whole thing bandana or do or whatever they call it and he said Dr. Barnett <laughs> I said hello he said, I've never met you. I've never seen you in my life. He says, I've listened to you eight hours a day. He says, I'm a trucker. I got saved in my car. He says, I'd recognize your voice anywhere. <laughs> and you know what I thought? This guy came to Christ in his car or his truck because he'd never heard someone share the gospel before and somehow he got on YouTube without the pictures, just the word or just the sound. And God saved him. Why am I saying that? Because I was really tired and it was a horrible trip we were just coming back from. We'd had more problems than you'd ever believe. I was going to another place to speak and I wasn't even ready and I was kind of troubled and I wanted my milk. <laughs> and the Lord let me meet my brother in Christ. 
that he transformed. See, that's the power of the gospel, and that's the greatest thrill in life, and that's when heaven is vital to you, and you just can't stop thinking about it, and you want to take as many people with you, and that's what the Lord wants from us. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the faithful saints of Calvary Bible Church that support this place, this lighthouse, this outreach center, this place of your word being taught. Thank you for those being baptized. Thank you for the precious first service baptism. I pray that you would cause us to think much of heaven and serving you. For Jesus' sake we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.